Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Yom HaShoah is upon us um, and this is something that obviously impacts all Jews, I'm sure is on the minds of all Jews, has always been on the minds of all Jews since the Holocaust happened 70 plus years ago. Uh, but with the current climate of anti-Semitism becoming normalized, um, really coming kind of out from maybe the more quiet or private spaces it used to live in to the point where um, celebrities and, you know, mainstream news and media outlets um, who otherwise treat with um, care and compassion uh, have a different standard towards Jews. Um, right before um, Pesach, um, I got a tweet uh, shared from me from Camera, an organization that monitors uh, information about Israel in the media. And they showed an artist that is featured on CNN um, who made a, a picture of um, Palestinians being crushed by matzah and their blood dripping out. Um, I mean, literally hearkening back to the blood libels of mid medieval times. Um, happening today, being promoted on mainstream outlets today. Um, and it's it's really horrifying um, if you're paying attention to what's happening. And so uh, today we're meeting with, we're talking with a Holocaust educator from the UK uh, named Naomi Lopian about the curriculum that she's created to create more awareness about uh, the Holocaust. So Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alison, for having me on your program. It's a privilege. So um, I guess if you can start us off, why why this topic? I mean, it should matter for all Jews, but um, kind of where do you come from? What was your Jewish background growing up? What's your connection to the Holocaust? So the connect, I'll start with the last question first and you remind me. My connection to the Holocaust is organic. It runs through my veins and that my father was a concentration camp survivor. He was 17 when he went into hiding in 1939, and he was 19 years old when he was ripped away and beaten away from his home on the 21st of March. In what country? In Poland, you're right. Upper Silesia, Poland. The town was called Zawiecze. He was the eldest of four children. And my mum, I only found out much more recently. In fact, she never told my father. Um, she was a, She's a French girl. She was born in France, and uh, at the age of 10, her parents decided to send her away with her older sister, Helen, 13, younger brother, Joey, 9, to Switzerland for safety. But on the way, on the journey, where they were joined by more children, and each time in a different town, a different group leader, they were arrested by the Gestapo with sniffer dogs and machine guns, and my mum was sent to prison with her sister and brother, and every day they were questioned at gunpoint by the Gestapo. And they were there a few months. And there is a story of uh, uh, two heroes. One is Marianne Kahn, a young secular Jewess, 22 years old, who looked after the children in prison and reassured them a very special girl because she had chance to escape the prison, but she refused. She refused to leave her charges. And mm. also the Gentile Jean de Faux, who was the Lord Mayor of the town, and he ultimately took the children from the prison to Switzerland. The prison was very close to the Swiss border. And he made and, a real Gestapo. Sorry. 
And so did they, what were they being questioned about? If they were Jewish, were they hiding? Yeah, I'll tell you the spiel because my mother remembers, my mother, Renee, is alive today. Can I know her? She's 89 years old, still a beautiful lady. And they took the kids every day a different time on their own in a small cell. I saw that room. I went back in 2018 to retrace my mother's steps with the BBC. And um, they asked the kids with a gun to head, are you Jewish? What's your name? Where are you from? What's your parents' name? What's their address? And that's what they really wanted was the parents' address so they could come and get the parents and deport them. It's so interesting, like, I mean, and horrifying, but like the level of detail that it's like, oh, in case we missed a few Jews in some place in France, like we can get this information out of you. Did your mother, I see you have, uh, you know, lighter hair. Did your mother look passable as a Gentile? She could have done so. My hair's colored. She had, my mother had brown hair, but blue eyes and uh, pale skin. They could have done, yeah. And this was my father. He wrote a book about his experiences, The Long Night, which was he wrote it very soon after the war in Yiddish, but he translated it into German, and it took about 10 years for it to be published. And that was because the Germans just didn't want to know. Nobody wanted to talk about it after the war. He actually <laughs> lived in Germany. Hmm. So your mother was in a prison and managed to get out and finally get to Switzerland to safety. Yes. And your father, your father was in a concentration camp. Correct. He was in seven different concentration camps, uh, oh, yeah. slave labor camps. And for how and for how long? What was the time period that he was in the camps? Was four and a half years. Wow. Heide, Markstadt, Fünf Teichen, Großrosen, Flossenburg, Leonberg, and Mühldorf. Hmm. So it's camps that not everybody has heard of, but it shows you the breadth uh, uh, and extent that the Germans went to in order to do this bloody deed, this murderous deed. Now, your parents, when they came into the Holocaust, were they observant? I, I know you're observant today. Were, were your parents raised observant Jews? Did they retain their observance? Yeah, my father, uh, very from Zionist, but before he went to school, he woke up at four to learn. So he first learned before going to school. And wow. my mum, a traditional also home. Yeah, they, they were Shalma Shabbos, Ken Shabbos. So my, my maternal I, grandmother wore a shakel with horse's hair. Wow. <laughs> my um, maternal great-grandmother, not my mother's mom. Is this something that you've talked to your parents about in terms of maintaining faith? Because obviously when it comes to survivors, there's absolutely no judgment about, you know, their relationship to God or grappling with the worst inhumanities, you know, uh, that man could have done. But is that something that's come up about how they were able to maintain their faith and their um, connection to, to their Jewishness? So my, my father actually... At the camp gates, his father, it's very moving. He was in the first camp of Grunheide. My father was with his father, but his father grew very weak. And my father managed to get his father out still, mm. uh, back to the ghetto. And at the camp gates, my grandfather told my father, stay a good Jew. So that was very strong. That was the thing. And, and stay alive to tell people about what happened. Those were the two... Yeah. Uh, things to do um but my and there is a very moving scene in the long night in my father's book where a quorum of men a million of men 
actually went to Daven, the Yom Kippur Davening. They tried to keep Yom Kippur, even mm -hmm. though the camp guards who saw them not eat forced them to eat. And my father was asked to join the minion. And uh, at first, my father grappled with Hashem. He didn't want to join the minion in, initially, but in the end, he he did. And it's a very beautiful passage because there's rain outside and you feel that what mm -hmm. our people are feeling uh, is actually mirrored metaphorically in the weather outside. Yeah. After the war, my father lost his faith um, or didn't uh, maintain, it wasn't the same as he was before the war. But uh, when he married my mother and they had children, they they returned to it. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, my mother remembers when they were newly married and my father made Kiddush Friday night, the tears were streaming down because she thinks he must have also gone back to his home and remembered the whole Shabbos atmosphere. And that's how the long night starts that uh, with the Shabbos. My father describes the Shabbos and what he thinks is the last family Shabbos. Hmm. And sadly, he was right. And, and her mom, she kept her faith. She, the journey when they were taken across France to reach Switzerland, the first place they were taken was to a convent. And the nuns hmm. took each of the kids aside on their own. And they said, when you die, not if you die, when you die, you go to hell. But if you convert to Christianity, you will go to heaven. And my mother refused, and so did the siblings. Mm. They were forced to cross themselves, and my mother said that she didn't do it properly. So, you know, a lot of Yidden get criticized that, oh, they didn't resist. In their own way, I think each and every one resisted. But it was mm. so devilishly done that the huge resistance wasn't possible. Wow. Now, you... We've heard so many stories, and yet every time you meet another story and put another face um, and another life to this thing that is just too big to wrap your arms around. I remember when I was a child and I started to like somewhat come to terms or understand like the miniature sort of stories within the larger number of six million. I remember like sort of staying up at night trying to comprehend like just a number so big and so many universes within um, such a huge number. So now let's turn to it. Obviously, you were raised with um, this information. I guess one more question before we pivot into the curriculum and the education that you're doing. Um, how many members did your parents lose? How many family members did they lose in, in the Shoah? 52 and I actually will show you just the family tree. I don't know if the viewers can see. So the 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 gray area, that's the only survivors. Mm -hmm. My father was one of four. His sister survived survived Auschwitz, and the name, my name, Noemi the Akari Naomi, was my aunt who was murdered in Auschwitz in August 1943. She was 13, the younger brother Yehuda 11. And the mm -hmm. parents were in their 40s. Mm -hmm. So out of a big family of uh, over 50 uh, or 60, that's, yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, so this was basically the stories and, you know, I mean, literally the Holocaust is in the DNA of Jews that lived through it, um, as genetics have shown us. So when did you decide that you were going to become an educator and what have you done um, since you made that decision? So I didn't grow up knowing about the Shoah. I... Hmm. I didn't, neither of my parents talked about it. 
and they allowed me to come to it when I was ready. My father passed away just after my bus mitzvah. Mm. Uh, so he never told me. Um, and uh, I read the book very late at the age of 36 after the birth of my youngest daughter. And when I closed the book, my first reaction, and I only am now able to share this with people, was I wish I'd never known. I'm ashamed of it. I wish I'd never yeah. known what bestiality man is able to do to a fellow man. And then I thought, how can I close it? If I close it again, I feel like I'm suffocating those souls that are in it. I have to give them a voice. And that was the very reason that my father wrote the book again. It was difficult for him. He had nightmares reliving it. And so then slowly I embarked on the journey of uh, wanting to translate. It took me three years. Um, I did it uh, not during uh, school holidays. And after translating it, then we launched it in the House of Lords. That's in the British Parliament. Hmm. Uh, with politicians there. And uh, we had Sajid Javid speak. And after that, it sort of became my life. I didn't train to be a Holocaust educator. I trained to be a GP, uh, a general practitioner. And it became my life. I say my passion and my family say my obsession. And I asked myself... Sorry, Can I just clarify the timeline? So you said you were not raised knowing about the Holocaust, meaning did you not know what happened to your parents and your extended family. If you could just clarify that point to me versus your father wrote the book, you didn't read it till 36. I'm just like unclear about the details. Like, how is this possible? Yeah, so I didn't know anything about my mother, like I said before, till 15 years ago. Right. And my father, um, I, I was in school in Germany, in the secondary school, and everybody who wasn't of the Catholic faith had to go to um, ethics lesson during RE, religious education. And one week they had the Holocaust. And I always say in my talks, all I remember, and it's not because it was a long time ago, it was almost immediate, is three pictures. And that's a crater of bones, a crater of hair, and a crater of glasses. And I looked at these German classmates of mine. I was the only Jew in the village, the only Jewish girl in my class. And they looked at me, neither of us knew. And I went home to my mother that day and I asked her, is it really true, hoping that it wasn't? And she said it was. And then it didn't get talked about. It was the year that my father passed away, it's probably too much. But we moved to Manchester, to a very warm Jewish community, and it saved us. And like my friends there in Manchester said, Noemi, we grew up with the long night, but it was in German, die lange Nacht. My mother had a chimney and on either side were bookshelves. And uh, they had a lot of uh, ornaments and pictures on it, but one shelf only had Die Lange Nacht on it. And so in my subconscious, I grew up with a book, but my mother never asked me to read the book or talk about it. It was when I was ready, and I'm really grateful for that, um, that I wasn't pushed into it. I don't feel that anybody with family connections or strong feelings to, for it can be pushed into this subject would be counterproductive, even though I'm a passionate educator. Okay, so at 13, the school introduces the Holocaust to you. Your mother confirms that it's true. She doesn't tell you about her side at all and or about your father. Okay. So, so when do you find out that this book on the shelf is your father's story? Do you oh, I always knew it was my father's story. Sorry, and uh, when we were kids, because my father was an elderly father, we used to say, tell us about our grandparents. Tell us about your life as a youngster in Poland. Tell us, like, you want to know about your roots, for curious, mm -hmm. and to imagine my father as a young man. 
and he would oblige us with funny stories, nice stories, and then he'd say the rest is in the long night, and it was just ominous. But without reading it, without knowing what happened in the Shoah, I couldn't have imagined it. Even in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have imagined this sort of thing. So, okay, so yeah. so you knew that the history is there. There's something ominous there. And do you even remember an age where you connected the long night is the Holocaust, or that's a hard thing to sort of come like know the exact timeline of like when the that was a lot older. I didn't know okay. it was the Holocaust, and it, it, it you know in the seventies, eighties, you know, it, it just didn't. It wasn't spoken about. We didn't speak about it. Hmm. Okay, so fine. So I'm trying to understand. I mean, and it, it I've heard stories about you know the Holocaust being suppressed in family stories because it's so hard to talk about, but it's fascinating to hear that you kind of know. I mean, Tom Stobhart's Leopoldstadt, um, you know, this play that just came out, he did not know that he, all four of his grandparents perished in the Holocaust until, you know, a cousin told him in his 50s. So, I mean, this seems to be a common occurrence. So when you say that the long night came to the House of Lords, what do you mean by that? Can you explain that more in detail? And where else is this book going? How are you getting it out there to more youngsters? Okay, so the House of the British Parliament is divided into two, the House of Commons, which are uh, politicians that uh, that the British society votes for them at the elections. They're members of Parliament and the Prime Minister and the House of Lords get their lordship through inheritance. But also these days, the prime ministers, upon their resignations or during their reign, make certain people who've done good, ideally, who've done good deeds, give them a peerage. And that's called being becoming a lord or a lady. Mm -hmm. So it was prestigious to have it there. It wasn't just the prestige I was after. I felt it was important that a book like this with the story of the Shoah should be at the heart of a democracy mm -hmm. because Hitler took away the democracy and a democracy protects every citizen of any race, creed or religion. And we were, we were humans. The Nazis tried to take that away from us, but we were humans like any other. And that's one of the messages I get out to youngsters. My message is that we are, uh, we belong to one race and that's the human race. I feel we are all prejudiced wherever we come from, and it's a natural biological safety device, but we have to overcome it. And yes, we cannot like, and yes, if you must hate, so be it, but don't hurt with words or indeed with actions. And when you and say that it was brought to the House do you mean that um, people uh, read it or it became like officially recommended? I'm also still not understanding what does it mean when it's brought to the House of Lords. Oh, it's just a very prestigious place. It's, it's in the Big Ben. It's in the Houses of Parliament. Okay. Um, oh, they're featuring the book. They're featuring the physical book there as something. Featuring that... the physical book. We, yeah, it, it was the book launch. Sorry, Alison. Yeah, it was the actual book launch. So uh, the book came out in 2016. And okay. we had it was printed in 16 and we launched it officially in 17. It was like a little simcha for the book, but with the politicians, because I felt uh, in Nazi Germany it was the politicians that managed to change everything, the judiciary. So it's important to have the support of the great and the good. And of course, the young have to be educated, too. And um, what are you doing in terms of, you know, educating the youth? I mean, there's been studies done where. Um, a surprisingly low number of younger people know that the Holocaust occurred or know any details about it. So um, 
what are you doing to get the word out to the younger generations? So I've teamed up in 2018 with a grandson of a Nazi. He didn't actually know his grandfather, but his grandfather was a high-ranking Nazi. He was in charge of slave labor in camps such as Auschwitz, Bergen-Belsen, Sachsenhausen. And he speaks together with me. And mm. it's very powerful when he shows a picture where his grandparents mm. celebrate New Year 1939. And he says from his mouth, six weeks earlier, Noemi's family and other people experienced Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass, where shoes, shoes were destroyed. Mm. People were then already um, murdered and beaten up. And it's it's powerful to ask people to meet on the bridge and we ourselves share our journey. I've also brought out a transliteral animations, little animatics, three minute clips of each chapter of the long night. Um, I want to do similar with my mom's story. And I'm also in the process taking a long time to do a game for gamers called a narrative game. I'm doing that because they can do things mm -hmm. with their hands. So always trying to think exactly how to engage with the youth of today and to use their platforms. And for these animated shorts, are they on social media? How can people view them? Yes, I'm going to send you the link. They are they are on social media. Awesome. Um, let's and talk the about the last thing I'm doing, I'm sorry, just to say is the biggest thing is we were trying to bring out an actual film, uh, Disney type animatics of the long night. That's a long 45 minutes, and we've got the trailer for that. But we're trying to get uh, people involved to actually make the film of it. And the dream would be one of the streamers to take that on. Because Amazing. again, the reason that it's Disney is to show that we are a race like any other, and mm -hmm. it's easily recognizable, and it's in bright colors because it happened in bright colors in front of everybody, and it, it's important to show that it wasn't a hidden thing and that it can happen to anybody because it never ends with the Jews. It mm -hmm. starts there, but they went for others, for disabled, and and it's and it's like that with most dictators. They never stop there. They get more delusions of grandeur and they want more and more mm. and it to create that bridge of empathy um what about the climate today um as a person that studied i mean i've you know i've learned about the holocaust for most of my life um and i thought i knew the climate of how things started and i'm learning even more these days and the parallels between then and now um seem extremely frightening to me what what are your thoughts about um, our current state of affairs in the world and where the world was before the Holocaust started. I feel like, I feel actually like you, that things have changed in, in the USA. I read about it and in the UK, we felt it. And it was when uh, Corbyn was going to come to power, he grew in popularity and he was openly anti-Semitic and refused to deny it. And I felt that's taken the lid off and it gives people permission to uh, speak anti-Semitically at dinner parties and offices. I have people coming up to me after I give talks to giving me examples. I have people contact me on LinkedIn that their kids in schools, on school buses and in classrooms uh, have anti-Semitic language used at them. And interestingly enough, I've tried to organize talks in these schools and the heads are stalling, saying they can't find a room big enough for the kids. They can't find a timetable. I said, I can help. I can come back more times. I can do it in any venue they want. And they answer me, it's not so simple. 
So I think I think it it is frightening, it is scary, and we just each have to do our stuff. And I really believe that education hasn't just got to be formal education, but has to create the bridge of empathy. Like, why should somebody else care? And how to make them understand to care? Because if you would see somebody hurt in the street, you would care. So why do they make, for example, the Jew into a vermin or into something that they don't care? Why, why is that? And how to create a humanity about it? Yes, the Jew made the Jew made into the vermin, but I think the other trend that I'm noticing today is the Jew is made into the oppressor, into the all powerful, into the you know uh, white European. The fact that you know Anne Frank had white privilege was trending on Twitter recently, or Whoopi Goldberg saying the Holocaust was just white on white violence. Um, I think our sort of racial minority features or the fact that we're an ethnic minority that Hitler saw us as a lower race that whole conversation um has been removed because we're seen as having taken too much being too powerful um and that it's almost a mitzvah now to cut us down to size to remove our power and the thing is that I mean my family was just in Spain for Pesach um, and visiting the places that Jews flourished until they had to be cut down to size. I mean, I think also in Austria, Germany, Jews were also flourishing until the Nazis decided that they had to be cut down to size. Um, it makes me extremely concerned of, of the fact that I think in democracies, many Jews have become complacent. In the US and the UK, we're safe, we're free, we have all of these opportunities, um, things can turn pretty quickly. I agree with you. And that's why I think it's important to go into schools to fight that there is a curriculum to actually teach about the hate of people born to Jewish faith. That's why I call anti-Semitism. It's important to say it like that, we're people born to a faith. I ask them always, have you got any control what you're born to and how nonsensical it is? Exactly. So anti-Semitism is the white on white. It's the it, it's we are the Goliaths, we take over the world, the media. And I tell them how nonsensical it is because it's so many different arguments. Which one do you choose to hate yeah. us? Then they'll have the Israel-Palestine conflict, they call it in the UK. And I always say it comes from here. It comes from the heart and that's yeah. hate. And not to underestimate kindness and the value of kindness and how much it can bring. And this is the essence of the talk. In Yiddish we say, Menschlichkeit to peel it right back to basic decent human values and people have to be educated on it and we can't give up we just all have to keep going and each one each one does their bit then i believe we can do it we can't give up hope how can our viewers uh, learn more about the long night see your online clips um i'm going to post it to you Alison, on social media i've got a twitter name called nolo remini I tweet a lot. I'm on Facebook as Noemi Lopian, uh, Instagram Noemi Lopian, and uh, this is available on Amazon. Um, All right, so that's your presence right now, and God willing, there will be a longer movie that will come out of uh, these powerful stories. Um, thank you for, you know, sharing the stories that need to be told, and for having the courage to read that book on your shelf. That was ominous because that takes a lot of courage to um you first had to believe it and then you had to like prepare yourself to to learn about you know where you come from to 
try to prevent this from happening again. So we need more people like you um, and you should have continued Hatzlach in all that you do. Amen. Thank you for being on this prestigious program. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.